This is the Senior Living Truth Series podcast, where we have candid conversations about complex issues facing today's mature adults. No sales pitch, only the truth. I'm Dr. Nikki Buckaloo. Welcome to the show. Yay! Give yourselves a hand. Yay! All right. Good deal. Uh, real quick, before we get started, uh, we've got a few more people filing in. Uh, where's Jane? Jane, are you here? Yay! All right. Uh, we had uh, put on Facebook, and I know not everybody's on Facebook, that uh, we have a few Downsizing Made Easy guides and, senior, uh, and moving mom and dad guides for people who want to give one to their adult children um, that we, we basically revamped it, we refreshed it, we revised it, we did some new stuff to it, and so we're getting rid of the old inventory. It's all still pretty accurate. There's a couple of changes, and I've made a note of those in there. So if anybody needs one, I have two or three Downsizing Made Easy guides, and I have about 20 or so moving mom and dad guides. So if you want one, uh, see Shannon at the end back there at the um, OKC Mature Moves table, and she can get you guys one. It's kind of first come, first serve, uh, and then when they're gone, they're gone. We do have the new ones, and when we give, we give you the new one when you meet with us for our free consultation, and the reason we do that is we'd like to go over it with you and kind of talk with you about the details. All right. All right, so everybody do this for me. Take a big, deep inhale breath. <sighs> Exhale. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's going to be a beautiful day. All right. Now turn back to that same neighbor and say, because you're here today. Awesome. Good job. Good job. Uh, before we dive into the content, I want to do a special appreciation. And, you know, I do... I appreciate them every month, but I'd like to ask our sponsors to just come here and stand up in the front of the room. Julie, you guys just kind of stand up here for me and just, I want everybody to see your faces. Perfect, yep. And I know you guys stopped by the tables and whatnot, but I, you know, this morning I woke up with such a heart of gratitude and appreciation for the, the blue sky, the weather, the birds chirping, and as I was driving here, I thought, you know what? I get to hang out with some of the coolest people in Oklahoma City on Thursdays once a month. Yes, ma'am. And I, and I just am so grateful. And here's what I'm grateful about is that we are all in this together. And I don't mean that to sound cliche. I mean it genuinely that um, our goal collectively, all of us, is to do life a little bit better. Yeah? Right? And these guys are collaborators in that, and I just am inspired by them every day. So can we give them a grand hand uh, and applause? And, um, and I want to just point out a couple of new people that you guys may not recognize. Where's Stephanie? She stepped away? Okay. So um, you guys know Cindy from uh, Spanish Co. And you may or may not know Melissa. Melissa, give everybody a wave. And Melissa is, uh, she has been around for a while here in Oklahoma City in different places. From time to time you'll see her, but she is at Bradford Village now up in Edmond. And she and Caitlin, who you guys are used to seeing, she's out of town today. But those two will be working together over at Bradford Village. And then everybody knows Shannon from Buckley Realty Group. And Marilyn at Villages OKC. And Kelly and Julie over at Concordia. And of course our lovely token male in the room. 
Curtis Kane at Arvest. All right, guys, one more hand for them. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you. If it weren't for them, we really could not afford to put these on. These, these are fairly expensive to do, as you know, the venue and whatnot. And we just we appreciate their sponsorship dollars. But more than that, we appreciate the fact that they're educators and that the goal of these is to educate, not sell, not try to convince you to do something you don't want to do, but to educate you so you can make informed decisions. So uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Nikki Buckaloo. I'll be your speaker for today. Uh, my husband, Chris, who's back at the sound booth, and our teams uh, are the organizers of these events. And um, I just, I am so, I can't even tell you how glad I am to be back. But that said, we have people at home still. Do you know we have about 50 or 60 people today watching from Zoom? Isn't that cool? Right? So even though COVID was kind of a damper on getting together uh, in person, it opened up a new, new avenue for people. We have somebody I know, I looked at the list, we have people from Enid, Chickasha, uh, Guthrie, uh, Tuttle, Kingfisher, all listening in today from home. So isn't that cool that we can do that? I think it's pretty cool, yeah. All right, so everybody's here today to talk about downsizing, am I right? Yep, all right. So I'm gonna sit today, if that's all right with you. Are we needing a seat? Uh, are we, do we need seats? Is your friend going to make it, Betty? Okay, there's a seat up front here, and there's also a seat next to Glennie there in the middle if you would rather have a, uh, a table, okay? You good? Okay, all right, perfect. I just want to make sure everybody's got a seat. All right. All right, so we're going to talk about the downsizing made easy method. You guys all have a handout at your seat, and so you can be taking notes as we go. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about what it is and why we're explaining it. Um, last month, how many of you were here last month? Raise your hand. Oh, good. Okay, so we have a lot of repeat folks. So last month we talked about the psychology of letting go, right? The psychology behind letting go. And if you did not see that uh, and you want to see the replay, it's on video on our website on SeniorLivingTruthSeries.com. There's a replay page. And if you want to go back and revisit that, you can. Um, the reason we did that one first and the reason we broke it down into three parts is that this is a big topic. And we've been offering it over the years in uh, one seminar, all of it in one seminar. There's a lot to cover in one seminar. So we thought, well, we'll break it down into three pieces. So the first piece was the psychology. The second piece is kind of the methodology. And then the third piece, which is next month, we're going to talk about the liquidation aspect, okay? Because the liquidation aspect is a topic in and of itself as well, okay? So here's the first slide I'll show for you. Here's a real downer on the day, right? Um, but the reality is this, that whether or not you choose to do it, everybody downsizes. Can we all agree that all your stuff is not going to fit in that little box right there? We can all agree on that, right? Yeah. And so the reality of it is if you don't do it, someone else is still going to do it, right? Um, so what is the downsizing made easy method? So I want to be really clear about this because I have people from time to time ask me if this will work for different scenarios. And this method is designed for people who choose to be proactive. Okay, they're going to do this themselves. They're going to take control of their own decisions. They're going to make this choice on their own. Now or later, 
but they're going to do it on their own versus someone doing it for them or to them. This is also for people who want to make their own decisions, not just about where they live and how they live, but about their stuff and the final disposition of their stuff when they're no longer uh, needing it or using it. It's also for people who have decided um, to make life a little easier on their kids. So even if you decide not to move, um, you can still use part of this process to make life a little bit easier on those people who uh, are going to be here once you're gone. And then lastly, uh, a proven step-by-step -step process. Now, not everybody wants a proven step-by-step -step process, I found. Some people like to do it themselves. They like to figure it out on their own, and quite frankly, they would just as soon have their own process and create it. That's totally fine. This is just our method. We've done it hundreds and hundreds of times this way, and it works, okay? If you want to use your own method, go for it. That's totally fine, too, all right? So here's our little elephant. Those of you in the Downsizers Club will recognize this, right, from our meeting last month. And we talked about this uh, as a group, that there's a lot of moving parts. There's lots of things that go into downsizing. And that's what creates this angst or this overwhelm that we sometimes feel, is because we're looking at this as a big elephant, and how am I going to eat it, right? And so breaking this bites down into bite-sized manageable pieces is the key. And uh, while we won't cover every single piece of that elephant today, we're going to cover a big part of it, all right? We're going to cover lots of the pieces, and then whatever little pieces are left, um, I figure those are just kind of the, they're the crumbles. They're the, uh, what do you call them, the, where you leave on the table? Crumbs. The crumbs, right, Betty? The crumbs. And the crumbs can be handled pretty easily as long as you have the big pieces chewed up, swallowed, and digested. Okay? Does that make sense? Say yes. Yes. Okay, good. All right, so I have a new little visual aid that I wanted to try out today. And this is not in your handout. I apologize. Um, this is uh, the Downsizers Club. Folks will get that this month. But I, I didn't have a chance to get this made. But you'll get a copy of it. And we can have Naomi send it out in an email to you afterward if you want it. But this is basically um, just out of curiosity. Before you look at this and read it, how many of you on a scale of 1 to 5, 1 being the easiest and 10 or 5 being the hardest, how many of you would rather have your move be easy than hard? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you really prefer to make it as hard as possible and as overwhelming as we can possibly make it? Raise your hand. No. Nobody? Okay. Maybe for your neighbor, but not for you, right? Okay. So... What I said was, you know, there's, there is a scale. There's a one to five kind of scale of how easy or hard can we make this. And what's interesting is I found that most people, uh, if, if they don't know any different, if they've never been to a class or they've never read a book on this, start out, Chris, can I move? I can't move, can I? Okay, so in the middle, number three is kind of where people start out. That's like our, that's like our baseline, right? People start out there. They, they go, okay, I have some informal support, family, friends, neighbors, somebody I know. They have a strategy. It's their own strategy. It's either how they've done it before maybe or how someone else has told them or a book they've read or what they've created. And they have some planning involved in that, right? And so it's complex. It's definitely not organized in terms of a strategy necessarily. It might be, but it's complex. Lots of moving parts, the elephant. It's also difficult, 
and it's also either exhausting or perceived to be exhausting. Fair enough? That's where most people start. Now, today what you're going to learn is you can go one direction or the other. My feeling is that uh, if you're on this end down here on number five, this is the folks who do a crisis move. Right? These are the people who it creeps up on them, and they're really not doing it. Somebody else is doing it for them. Does that make sense? And that's where you really get into this. It's painful. It's unhealthy. It's scary. There's a lot of unresolved stuff. And it's typically, like I said, a crisis. Number four is where a lot of people end up, and they have weak support. They have somewhat of a strategy, but not a lot of pre-planning. And it can be daunting, overwhelmed, exhausted, exhausting, and elongated. What I mean by elongated is they have a lot of boxes left in the garage, or they have a lot of stuff they haven't dealt with, or they have a house full of stuff, and they decided not to sell the house. Instead, they're using it as storage shed, that kind of thing. Right? <laughs> hey, don't laugh. We have lots of people that do that. We have, I have one lady that has two houses. She has a $500,000 house in Edmond and a hundred and some odd thousand dollar house in Bethany, and she lives in a different house, but she won't sell the other two because they got stuff in them. That's an expensive storage building. So number three is where people start. Now, you can go the other way, which is you can have some informal support. Again, family, friends, people you know. You can have a known strategy. You can use this strategy that I'm going to talk about today. And you can do some pre-planning. It's still going to be complicated, a little bit disorganized, but manageable. And no matter what, it's going to be a little tiresome. Fair enough? Okay, that's just the reality for all of us. doesn't matter what age you are. doesn't matter any of that. It's just the reality is it's going to be tiresome. <clears throat> Number one, though, is where we want to get to. This is where I want people to be, and this is why we do what we do, which is you have formal support. We'll talk about what the difference is. And we have a proven strategy with pre-planning. It's organized. It's informed. It's manageable. And hopefully it will give people peace of mind. Okay? Now, this is not a commercial for us as much as it is this is why we do what we do, okay? Whether you use us as formal support or someone else as formal support is up to you. Um, but I do recommend to everybody, and you'll see here we, as we go, why I recommend formal support. And what is formal support? It's typically somebody you're paying who knows what they're doing versus a family friend or a neighbor or somebody who uh, is helpful and, and well-meaning but doesn't necessarily do this for a living, okay? All right, so let's dive into the first step. And you're going to find there are 15 of these. We're not going to cover every one of the 15 in great detail today, but we're going to cover some of the biggest basics, okay? So the first one, create a plan for where you're going to live as you age. Now you'll notice that I didn't just say create one plan. I said create how many? Why two? Choices. The first one may not work. What else? Things change. Who said that? Very smart. Yes, things change. So you got to have that backup plan. So this is my ideal goal. This is where I'm going to move. This is what I'm doing. I've joined the waiting list. I'm in the club. I, I'm, I'm planning ahead. I've got two or three years, and then I'm going to do this. And sometimes life happens. And if life happens, what's the plan B? Okay? That's the first reason. Here's the second reason. A lot of people move 
and they buy what they call their forever home. Does anybody live in a forever home right now? Yeah. Okay, well, I, I interviewed a couple uh, when I did my dissertation for my doctorate who were in their third forever home. Because their first forever homes they bought in their previous marriages and their spouses passed, and so they bought a different forever home. And then the health issues kind of happened, so they downsized into a different forever home. And then they were looking to go to another forever home, which was a senior community that had uh, independent, assisted, and so on, kind of like Bradford, Concordia, and Spanish Cove. Okay, so plan B can also be I'm making this move, and I do make it, but then what if something happens and this one no longer works? Okay, now if you're moving to a CCRC, Continuing Care Retirement Community, like I just said, those three, Concordia, Bradford Village, Spanish Cove, that kind of takes care of your plan B because that's built in. Now what happens though, and I've, this is really interesting, especially during COVID this happened, was that even though people moved to those communities knowing that that plan was built in, when their health was no longer such that they could stay in independent living, they really needed a little health care support, they hadn't really thought about the fact that assisted living there on campus was their plan B. They, they hadn't really thought about it. It, it, it. They'd lived there long enough. Some people lived there 20 years, 15 years, and it's kind of like they forgot they had a plan B, right? But they did. And it was like, wait a minute, you, you did this already. You, like, you created this plan, and now let's just execute. And it was like, oh, yeah, you're right. That's why I moved here. Uh-huh, yeah, that's why you did that. Now, if, if you move into a house, a smaller house, or you move into independent living apartment or something like that, then you're going to need to create that plan B, right, for possible future needs. You may not have to use it. It's like a tornado drill. You may never need it. But if you don't create a plan B, who creates it for you? Someone else, right, yeah. Okay, so that's why you have two plans. Now, once you have your plans in place, and these plans can just be uh, mental, right? They don't have to be, you don't have to execute yet. These are just theory, they're plans. And so now you have these plans and you go, okay, so now I'm gonna arrange for relocation support. Now, I'm gonna tell you that when I created this outline for you guys, I had originally made this one step three or four. And the more I went through it, the more I went through it, I thought, you know what? I've had so many people as of late, <clears throat> pardon me. I've had so many people as of late start doing things on their own that have been detrimental to their outcome that I moved this up. I moved it way up. I moved it up to step two. Now, what do I mean by relocation support? I mean, this is where you start talking to people who are going to help you make the move. If it's your kids, great. If it's your neighbor, great. If it's a professional like what we do, great. If it's somebody in your life that has said, I'm going to help you manage this when you're ready, go ahead and have these conversations with them early in the process. And people go, well, I'm not going to do this for a couple years. That's okay. Go ahead and start talking about it. Jan, Jan how long have we been talking about this? Two years, yeah, right? And that's okay, right? That's okay. People think, oh, I don't need to do anything until I'm ready. Well, when you're ready, it's too late, <laughs> right? Let's do this early, yeah. 
Okay, so what kind of relocation support? Um, obviously, you could even go ahead and go so far as to start looking into moving costs and things like that. By the way, that's why we created the Downsizers Club, right? The Downsizers Club is a group of people who aren't quite ready. Martha, a couple years out, one year out. And, we're, and what we're doing is we're putting all of these pieces in place uh, along the way so that when we're ready, the homework's done, right? So we're going to arrange for support. Step three, then you start to let go of the essentials. Let go of the essentials. Something going on with my mic a little bit. Do I need to unhook my cord? Am I sitting on it? Is it? No? Okay. All right. Well, I'll just, if I need to repeat myself, you guys say something, and I, I'm, I'm having to fiddle with it. Uh, it, it might, I might. Yeah, I could have a handheld if that would help. Uh, so, <clears throat> what I mean by beginning to let go of the non-essentials is what some people call decluttering. They call it decluttering, right? They call it decluttering. What is decluttering? Well, it's getting rid of the stuff you no longer need, really. I got more gadgets than I know what to do with now. Is it on now? Okay, I got lots of gadgets. So this will be fun to watch. Okay, I'll sit that one down while I'm doing this. Okay, so letting go of the non-essentials are, is the basically the same thing or similar to decluttering, okay? Now the reason I said let's get some support in there before you start to do this is because what will happen is some of you will get rid of stuff that you probably shouldn't have gotten rid of if you're going to have an estate sale and I'll talk about that in a minute. So it's, it's the question of what comes first, the chicken or the egg, right? And if you have some guidance and you've done your homework, then, we, then we're confident that the non-essentials truly are non-essentials, okay? But have you all ever done like I do when you get on a roll? and you start getting rid of stuff, the next thing you know, you've gotten rid of a lot of stuff, right? And some, it's like, what are you doing? It's like, well, I got going, and I just kept going, right? Well, Chris will tell you that happens at our house a lot, and then he wonders where his things are. <laughs> and uh, it's because I got on a roll, and uh, his stuff got in the way. So what, what we don't want you to do is get rid of things that you don't need. So non-essentials, let's just talk about what those are. So write these things down. Books. And for some of you, for some of you, books are essentials. I get that. So don't get rid of the ones that are essentials. But you can get rid of the ones you no longer read. Um, let me see here. What else do I have on my list? Clothing. Get rid of some clothing that you no longer need. I know you have that. Everybody does. It's just one of those things. Books, clothing, old files, tax returns, old receipts, old personal information, old magazines, things that you don't need anymore that the IRS says you don't have to have those anymore. Go ahead and have those shredded. Those of you who came to the shredding thing back in April, that's why we do that, is so that you can begin to get rid of those things that you don't need. Broken items. Um, it's interesting how many of us keep stuff that we think we're going to go back and fix later. 25 years later, it's still not fixed. It's okay, go ahead and get rid of that. Stuff that belongs to your kids that are now 50, get rid of it. Give it back to its rightful owner. Yeah, Mary? Ask them first. At, before you get rid of it? 
Right. Thank you, Mary. Ask them if they want it first. Yeah, that's yeah. good rule of thumb. Ask them first if they want it. And then if they say yes, say come get it by X date. And if they don't, then it's fair game. Yeah. Okay, so family photos, personal notes, note cards, things like that. Um, you can start going through. And when I say getting rid of non-essentials, it doesn't necessarily mean trashing them. It means getting them to who needs to have them. So you may have family pictures, like I took my son, who is now 29, uh, he, it, was, it was perfect. He sent me a text a couple of weeks ago and asked what time of day he was born. Well, he's, he's getting pretty serious with this girl, and I'm sure this was a conversation they were having. So he asked me what time he was born. I said, I don't remember. It was in the evening. So I got his baby book out, and I looked, and I sent him a picture of it, and then I decided, you know what? He needs this baby book and the pictures. So I took him the baby book and the baby pictures that go with it. And he goes, what am I going to do with these? I said, I don't know, but they're yours. <laughs> There's a birth certificate in there. There's all kinds of goodies. I said, it's yours. Put it on a shelf. Put it under the bed. Put it somewhere, but don't get rid of it. It's yours. <laughs> it's no longer at my house. You guys get that? That's how easy that can be if you'll allow it to be. Junk drawers. Everybody has junk drawers. Some have more than one. Pantries, uh, closets that are the junk closets, right? Go ahead and get rid of the non-essentials. And what I mean by that is the stuff that won't sell necessarily. Now, if you go, well, what if it will sell? That's why you have formal support. Ask somebody, and we'll tell you whether or not you should keep it and tuck it away or get rid of it. All right, so number three. This is where really the rubber meets the road. This is when you start to execute your plan. Is that number four? What did I say? Three? Oh, my apologies. It says number four right there on the screen, right? And I said three. Okay, so number four. Secure your new residence and establish an approximate move date. Okay, so you've had a plan. Now this is where you go, I'm doing it. And you're going to put your name on the list. You're going to put down a deposit. You're going to write the purchase contract, you're going to sign the lease, whatever the case is for your circumstances, but you're saying, I'm doing it, okay? You've, you've signed paperwork, you're going to establish a, what we consider a tentative moving date, right? So the, the place will be ready on X date, this is my goal, this is my target, uh, I want to move on this date or by X date. So you're going to do that. And why is that its own step? It used to be combined with a couple of other steps, and I separated it out. Because I will tell you that this single step can be one of the most difficult steps of the whole ordeal, you guys, right? It's pulling the proverbial trigger. It's saying, I made a decision, yeah. And that can be an overwhelming emotional thing to do in and of itself, so don't discount the value of this step, okay? Step number five, once you've done that, now you can kind of work towards setting a firm move date and get on the schedule for a professional mover. Now, here's what I've seen happen as of late. Again, this is things that we learn because we do this so often is that people will call me and say, Nikki, do you have a mover that you guys use because we're moving this weekend and nobody is available. I'm like, are you kidding me? And it's the 30th of the month. 
or the 29th and 30th or whatever. It's like, so you got to do a little advanced planning on this thing. And movers, just like everybody else right now, are short-staffed, right? They don't have enough workers. And so it used to be they could do two or three moves in a day. And they're struggling right now because they don't have enough people to spread out and do that many. So we want to schedule a move date a month out if we can. We can schedule it further, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't go less than a month for sure. And so when you have someone like our move management team, we'll go ahead and book those dates out. And like right now, I think Stephanie's got uh, eight or ten files on our desk. And eight or ten files. And as soon as we know that person is moving, we are scheduling a date with the movers. Now, here's the key. If you already have a date with the movers and you need to adjust it, there's a higher likelihood they're going to adjust it for you than if you're a brand new caller that they're trying to fit on their schedule, right? So we want to get on their schedule. We want them to know that we're doing this. We want them to know that we're, we're going to make this move. Um, all right, so you're on their, on their schedule. Now there's a gap in time. What are you going to do during that gap in time? We're going to do some space planning, space planning. This also holds a lot of people up because they go, I don't know what I can take because I don't know how much space I have. And right now, I know a lot of our clients that are moving to uh, Concordia or Bradford Village or Spanish Cove, they've only seen their apartment once or maybe twice, and now we're making decisions about what will move in. And you go, oh, I don't remember how big that room was. Well, that's why we do some space planning. So here's kind of how that looks. The picture on the top left, corner is kind of what usually you get from a community or a builder or whomever. It's a, it's a pretty basic floor plan. It sometimes has measurements, but the measurements are not always exact. And sometimes two inches matters. Okay? It can, make, it can be the difference between two nightstands and one nightstand okay? On behind, around your bed. Then the one down below that in the bottom left-hand corner that's the next step for us. What we do is we take their floor plan, we go out to the community and we measure it and we lay it out on a grid that is to scale. So every one of those little grid marks is a foot. And we know that if that's 14 feet, that's 14 grid marks and we lay it out that way. And then you'll see the big picture on the right is that same floor plan now with furniture on it. So what we've taken now is our our scalable furniture that we bought that has little, you know, that's little magnets. Some of them are magnets and some of them are stickies and sometimes we just draw them on there. But what we're doing now is we're saying, okay, these will fit. Now if you look at that one uh, on the right with the chairs, the bedroom, uh, on the far right hand side of that picture, you see the bed and then above it uh, you'll see that there's a recliner and a little table, or not a recliner, but a chair and a little round table and number 19, that's like a, um, uh, it's a secretary desk. Now, this is an actual client that we worked with recently. And she said, Nikki, in that room, before we did our floor plan, she had used her floor plan from her community. And she said, I want two chairs. They were just the same, gray leather chairs with that round table in the middle with that secretary desk right there. I said, great, let's put it on the floor plan. And I put it on the floor plan, and I told her as long as she never wanted to come or go out of that door, we could do it. <laughs> well, that's her master bedroom, so she kind of needs to come and go out of there. So she said, well, what am I going to do? And I said, well, you either have to lose the secretary desk, 
lose the table or lose one of the chairs. That's what it is. And she goes, are you sure? I'm like, Jean, it's right here. Like, I mean, on the piece of paper right now. Okay, so we, we did this. So I pulled the one chair out. She insisted. We moved to Dallas, by the way. She insisted that she was taking both of those leather chairs. And if one of them doesn't fit, she said, I'll just send it back with the movers. <laughs> True story. So, by the way, this is an interstate move to Dallas, which I had to hire special movers who would do that. Along with two rugs, we weren't sure which one was going to work. Okay, so we get there. It's all about money. If you're willing to pay somebody enough, they'll do that. Does that make sense? Okay, so we get there, and I put the chairs in there, and guess what? It all fit, except for the secretary desk. So I said, so which one of these are you going to lose, the secretary desk or the chair? Well, what we ended up doing is moving the nightstand, moving the secretary desk over, using it as a nightstand, and both chairs fit. And she goes, see, I told you they'd fit. <laughs> uh, you're right. You are absolutely right. But we lost, a, we lost a nightstand. I mean, you had something had to give. Does that make sense? Right? So the, this kind of floor plan gives you the clarity of what will work and what will not. And then that way we can with confidence say you're either taking too much or you're taking the right amount or if we take too much we have to make arrangements for what doesn't fit, right? Because sometimes you want to see it in the room, yeah? Yeah, okay, fair enough. So I'm just telling you these are true stories and this is always fun and we have lots of conversations around these things. And I told her she was taking about five too many small little accessory tables, but we found space for all of them. Some of them were in the closet, some of them are in the storage. All right, step number seven. After you've done your floor plan, we're gonna start selecting and marking items to be moved. So now you know what the floor plan looks like. You can go, okay, I'm taking this, 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 and this. Now you'll notice in that picture, our strategy, the way we do it, everybody's a little different, is to see the blue tape on the corners of those things, the blue tape on that little table and the blue tape on the lamp. That's our color coding, okay? We use painter's tape because it peels off and doesn't damage the furniture. There are some things you don't want to put it on, like leather or you know things that it might uh, discolor. But for the most part, it works for most things. So what, what we do is we go through and we say, okay, Let's label all the furniture that you want to take with the tape, and then let's plot it on the floor plan, right? And we do that, and then we number it. We number each item, and the number corresponds with the number on the floor plan. Why is that important? Because when the movers unload into the new location, the question every single time they walk in the door, they ask what? Where does this go? Okay, now we want things to be as efficient as possible to save time and money, yeah? So if we have a floor plan on every door or somewhere visible for the movers, they don't come in and say, where does this go? They come in and they go, uh, 15, okay, it goes right there. That's where they put it. You just saved yourself 10 minutes of them trying to find somebody, and if they don't find somebody, what do they do with it? They stick it right there in the middle of the room where nobody knows why it's there, right? So movers are movers. I want you guys to be clear. Typical movers, if you call somebody off the internet or out of a phone book or from a flyer you got, 
They, their job in life is to load it, secure it, unload it, period. They do not care what happens after that. Unless they're being hired by someone like us who does this for a living who says, you will do it this way. And then we tell them where to put things and how to organize it and so on. If you don't have someone doing that, you are the one doing that. Does that make sense? Okay, so now you've got one mover who just came off the truck with a wardrobe box and he says, well, which room does this go in? And you walk him to that room. In the meantime, another mover walks in with an end table and he's looking around going, where's that guy who's telling people where stuff goes? So you need at least two people directing traffic if you don't have a professional directing traffic. Okay, it's, it's literally like directing traffic for the movers, okay, if you want it to be efficient. Now, here's the kicker, you guys ready? You move to Concordia or Spanish Cove or Bradford Village, it's not like moving into a house. There are hallways, there are elevators, and there are people coming and going because they live there. So it's, uh, it's a little different, right? You can't put a whole bunch of boxes in the garage and figure it out later. You gotta do it at that moment. All right, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So we're selecting items to be moved. Once we've selected them, we're packing them, yeah? Okay, some people like to pack as they go. Some people like to pack all at one time. There is no right or wrong way, necessarily. Uh, we do it different with different clients because some clients, that, like we can go ahead and pack the non-essentials, right? And we can have some boxes sitting in the garage and staged like the Claire's right now. Like we've got multiple packing days set up. And so the, as those things are being packed, they're also being labeled. And this is important. So this is our label. Um, we put, if we packed it, we put who packed it. We put where they packed it from, like if it's a different room. Say we packed it from the uh, master bedroom, but it's going to the second bedroom in the new place. We want to make sure we identify where we packed it and where we're taking it. Because sometimes they go, where was that in the old house? And we want to go, well, it was in, the, it was in that other room, so it's probably in that box, right? Okay. So, and then we want to put what's in there. Now, if it's fragile, obviously you mark it fragile. But packing is an interesting thing. I have clients who want to pack themselves. Um, when you pack yourself, chances are you're also planning to unpack yourself, which is totally, totally fine. But when you are having someone else help you unpack, it's helpful if they have also helped you pack. Does that make sense? Because they know what's there, they know where it goes, they've had that conversation with you. Packing um, is tiresome, for sure, uh, but it's something that's manageable. It's something, if you want to pack some of the things yourself to save money, there are a few little tips, okay? One, pack books. You can pack books. Pack your linens. Totally not a problem. Um, we prefer to pack your kitchen. We prefer to pack the breakables. Um, but if you wanted to pack your jewelry, your, your toiletries, things like that, totally not a problem at all. You can pack that stuff along the way, right? Because you're not going to need it uh, until the move or until after the move. So non-essentials can be packed along the way. Here's the problem I have with packing. 
yesterday, this literally happened yesterday. I had a client, he was so proud, he had packed some of his books. So he took me in to show me his books that he had packed and how he had marked them. And he had three boxes of books, all in liquor store boxes. Liquor store boxes are free. Liquor store boxes are very difficult for movers to stack in their truck because they're different sizes. So now you've got, you've saved a little money packing yourself, but now it's going to take the movers an additional however long to try to figure out how to situate those on the truck. So did you actually save money? Because if you cost yourself an hour of the movers having to do that, you've just paid $125 for free liquor store boxes. So is it really free? That's all I'm saying. So if you're going to pack yourself, please go buy boxes. You can go to a place on uh, Northwest Highway and May Avenue. It's called Budget Box and Bag. And they have really good boxes at a discounted price. If you go to Home Depot, you're going to get the crappiest box possible. Those still work, but they're not very heavy duty, so I don't recommend them. But use small boxes for books and things like that. Unless you're me, I use the extra large boxes for books because it makes Chris so happy. <laughs> right? Um, but packing, I, I just recommend that you let someone else help you pack. That's all. I, I, can't, I can't tell you how many people have told me that's where the injuries happen. Their back hurts. They're up and down. They're trying to drag things out of cabinets. And, you know, it's different than how many of you have moved since you were 40? You know, a few people. Yeah, how many of you have moved since you were 50? All right, a few people, fewer. Okay, so what happens is 20 years does a lot, doesn't it? Uh-huh. Yeah, 20 years can do a lot. Stephanie, she, she runs circles around me. She's almost 30, and I thought I was pretty, pretty strong. And the other day, she goes, oh, Miss Nikki, let me take that box. And I went, oh, heavens. <laughs> right? And there's a reason for that, because she knows that my back does not, it, I don't have as much strength as I used to. Right? Okay. Now, step nine. Load, move, and unload. So we're all packed. There is a, the packing is in phases or it's all at one time, but let's just assume now we've got all the packing done and it's time for the movers to come. We've had the movers scheduled. They're going to come. They're going to load the truck. They're going to move the stuff and then they're going to unload the truck. Okay. Now local moves. Let's talk about local moves. Local moves are easy. They're easy for us to estimate. They're easy for us to plan. Um, I can pretty much tell you everything you need to know about a local move. If you're doing an out-of-state move, that's a whole different ballgame, okay? Because the movers that are licensed for interstate moves have other requirements. So there's insurance issues, there's pricing is based on the pound, not on the hour, and there are, they also have certain ways things have to be packed. So it's a different ballgame, right, than it is for if you're doing a local move. But in an ideal world, the movers are going to show up somewhere between 8, 30, 9 o'clock in the morning. We're going to load the truck. If you're moving someplace fairly within reason of distance, somewhere in the metro area, we're going to have the truck loaded by around noon, 1 o'clock. We're going to transport it to the new location. The movers will take a short break in between to grab a bite to eat. We'll start unloading the truck. I say we. That means the movers 
us when we're doing it. Our team is helping them by directing traffic and maybe moving little things and so on. I have a couple of pictures here. Um, okay, so this is a dresser. How many people, guys, are unloading that dresser on that truck? Four. Anybody still want to move themselves? That dresser may or may not be full. I don't know. I don't remember. Um, the guys there on the back of the truck in the other picture are doing what? Passing what? A chair? Okay. I want you to look at that truck and look at the, uh, it's got a hoist on it, right? Okay. There are two different kinds of moving trucks out there that you'll see. Some have a uh, ramp and they'll dolly stuff up and down the ramp. But more and more of them now that I've noticed over the last several years have gone to this hoist method where they don't roll things up the truck. They, they have that thing on the back that's hydraulic and it lifts. It goes down and up and down and up. Which one do you think takes longer? This one. Yeah, the hoist. So it takes them longer to do this, but what they do is they'll put a whole bunch of stuff on the back of that. Like they'll put five or six things if they can, and then they'll put it down, and then they'll take it off, and then they'll raise it up. It's to basically, it's, it's to make it easier on them, right? So that they're not hurting themselves, uh, in many cases, the heavy stuff. But it also allows them to uh, pull up to a moving dock a little bit easier. It also allows them to move some of those dressers and things fully packed. <clears throat> Instead of us having to empty out all the drawers, sometimes they can just do it this way. Now, it depends on where they're moving it onto. If they're moving it to a second floor or something like that where there's stairs, we can't do that. But in senior living communities, a lot of times, obviously, we have elevators, right? So we're able to use the elevator. They don't have to unload the, all the, the things. We usually have anywhere from three to four guys on a move. Rarely, if ever, do we just have two. And if you're moving to a senior living community where there's hallways and elevators, you're absolutely going to have three, more than likely four, because somebody needs to be there at the truck while the other people are moving stuff up and down. And so when they say, well, how many people do you need? Or uh, we charge by the man, right? So they're going to charge one price for two people, one price for three people, one price for four people, right? Because they have labor costs. So for us, this group of guys right here is probably running about $125 or $135 per hour, portal to portal. So from the time they leave their warehouse to the time they arrive back at their warehouse, you're paying them by the hour. Do you ever want them sitting idle? No, right? That's why we're there and we're prodding them on. Okay, so unpack and begin settling into your new space. All right, those boxes that you see there in that picture, that's a true picture of a real client. Um, those are wardrobe boxes. You guys know what a wardrobe box is, right? You hang clothes on a rod and it's long enough that you can hang them in there. And then we put things like pillows and lamps and stuff down in the, in the, in the bottoms of those boxes. So <clears throat> this was a day towards the end of the day when we had broken down the boxes and they were sitting out by the truck getting ready to reload them. Now, if somebody else is not loading those and disposing of them, who is? Yeah. You are. So I look at this, and this is the number one reason for accidents right here. Okay. It's been a long week. You've been packing. 
You're, it's now move day. You, if you have a pet, you've been dealing with that. If you have a spouse, you've been dealing with them. It's just you're tired, you're hungry, you're probably not hydrated, even though we tell you a hundred times to drink plenty of water, but you're busy, right? So you're exhausted. So you trip over one of those boxes and do a face plant into the curb, and guess what? It derails the whole day, right? Derails the whole day. You're going to the emergency room or you're sitting around with an ice pack. We prefer that you let somebody else deal with the boxes. And I just say that in, with great respect, I say, this isn't, it's just a reality. We've had it happen so many times that people want to deal with the boxes themselves and that's where the accidents happen. Terry, you're laughing. That is, uh, that's Spanish Cove. That's a move from independent living to assisted living. That's about half the boxes. They're sitting in a dining area across from the apartment uh, before we could break them down. That's because as the movers are bringing them up, we're unpacking them. So the movers are still bringing boxes in and we're unpacking them and emptying them so that you don't have to, okay? Then they're gonna get broken down and they're gonna get hauled off. They're gonna be, with those boxes, I don't have a picture, but there's probably about five or six large black plastic bowl of packing paper as well. Okay, and then you see Shauna digging down in that wardrobe box because we're probably looking for a lampshade or something that got left in there. And so I don't recommend you do that, by the way. It was hilarious watching her try to get back out of that box. I wish I'd have had my video on instead of the camera. Uh, she'd have murdered me. But she's, uh, you know, it's, it's hilarious. Okay, so uh, this is a, a bedroom of a house that was what, how long do you think after the move that picture was taken? That day, absolutely, yep, that day. That's a living room, the lady in Dallas I told you about. 4.30, same day of her move. 4.30, same day of her move, ninth floor, high rise building in Dallas. Okay, so I, I show you those pictures because how many of you, that's how your house looks at the end of your move day? <laughs> Most of us can honestly say that's not how our house looks at the end of a move day because we're so flipping tired by the time the movers leave that we're not opening boxes, right? What we want to do is we want to make sure that everybody is completely unpacked as best we can, as quickly as possible, and that you can live there that day. Like, you can live there that night. Your bathroom's set up, your kitchen items are set up, like your, your coffee pot, your, your necessities. And then, ideally, the next day or the day after, depending on your energy and, and time and all those things, we'll, final, we'll do the final resettle. And the final resettle is uh, kind of the non-essentials, right? The stuff that didn't get unpacked the day of the move because... It wasn't needed yet, and everybody's tired, and you're going, get out of my house. I just want to go to bed, and we go, great. We'll come back tomorrow or the next day. When do you want us to come back? And we'll do the non-essentials. And so that may be um, moving things around in the kitchen that got put away the first day, and you really would rather have them in a different spot. So we move them from one cabinet to another. It could be moving rugs. It could be moving uh, chairs or furniture that you'd rather have situated differently. It's mainly decorative pictures, hanging pictures. 
this is a client's actual uh, hallway uh, in her house. And you'll see right in the middle there, there's a piece of blue tape, piece of blue tape, which indicates we're taking it all. So we took a picture of it so that in her new house, it could be hung exactly the same way. So we literally took that wall and recreated it in her new house. Now, I'm going to just say this. If you have someone in your life that you're moving with or moving, uh, helping move who has dementia, uh, any kind of cognitive impairment, memory issues, the, that wasn't necessarily the case with this person, but I'm just bringing it up because it's important, is we want to make the new residence as much like the old one as possible. And so these are important details, okay? Um, women think about these things more often than men, so I'm bringing it up because if you have a spouse who's female with dementia and you're a guy and you're thinking, yeah, decor's not that important, well, it is because we want that person to visually look around and feel as at home as possible. It won't be exact, but in an ideal world, we'd like to do that. Okay, here we are, step 12. You're moved. You're unpacked, you're situated, you're resettled for the most part. Now we've got to go back and get rid of what's left in the previous house, right? Because most of us, with few exceptions, most of us will not move everything. You'll move part of it. This is a weird phenomenon too, by the way. Like, really weird. Anybody that's done it can tell you, like, it feels weird leaving stuff behind. Right? Because you're not used to it. You've always moved and you packed it all up and everything moved with you. It's weird to think, I'm, what do you mean I'm leaving that chair? Or what do you mean I'm leaving this stuff in that cabinet? Right? Um, that's the other reason, by, by the way, we have such a, a very detailed marking system is because when the movers come in, what are they used to? Taking it all. Yeah. And so here they come in and they go, what do you mean we're not taking it all? And it's like, nope, you're only taking the stuff that's marked. So they go, oh. And that takes a little time for their brains to adjust to, which is why we use the same couple of movers every time because they're used to it. They walk in and they go, blue tape, do, 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 do. Oh, blue tape. Yep, got it. Do, 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 blue tape. And that's all they're looking for is blue tape. Okay, and if it doesn't have blue tape on it, they're not touching it because they're, they're well-trained, right, like Pavlov's dogs. Okay. All right, step 12. Emptying the previous house uh, or residence, you've got four main options. Of course, there are others, but we aren't going to talk about them today because next month we're going to get into this on, in great detail. Okay, The estate sale is the most commonly requested way. Donations, uh, of course, just plain disposal, and then there's storage. And, you know, we laugh about disposal being an option, but I will tell you, I think I've told this story maybe in the past, but we were in Florida when we lived down in uh, Marco Island for a little while, and we had a neighbor, Caddy Corner, from us who uh, had lived there for several, several years, decades, rather, and she had started having falls, and she would fall in her yard and couldn't get back up, and her kids came out, and she decided to move back up north where they were from to live with them. And we knew that, but we didn't really know any details or anything. We weren't that close with the family. And one day I look out the front door, and there's this big dumpster that they had pulled into the uh, drive, one of those big, you know, commercial dumpsters. And I said to Chris, I said, what, did they have a leak or something? Or what happened across the street? He said, I don't know. So me, being the nosy, busybody I am, <laughs> took my dog for a walk and 
went over and said hello and introduced myself. And I said, is there anything going on that we could help with? And they said, no, we moved mom uh, back up to, to, I think, Michigan, where we are. And uh, we're just getting rid of the stuff that's left here at the house. I said, well, what are you doing with all this? And they said, oh, we're just dumpstering it. And I'm looking in that dumpster going, that's good stuff. <laughs> right? Lamps and bedding and all the things that you have in your house, right? And I said, you're, you're not even going to try to have a sale? No, nope, we don't have time. I said, what about donating it? No, nope, we don't have time. We've got this weekend. He said, my daughter's here with me. We're taking every single thing out of the house. We're throwing it in the dumpster. They're going to come pick it up tomorrow and haul it off. Well, this is a million-dollar house. What's more valuable, the stuff in the house or the house? To them, the house, right? Now, um, I'm not an advocate of that. That's not my favorite strategy, right? But it is some people's strategy, and I share that with you because it depends on your kids how that's going to happen. You guys get that? That woman is sitting in Michigan somewhere in her bedroom having no idea what's going on. I guarantee you if she thought that they were put that stuff in a dumpster, there would be a fight, right? So I'm just saying to you that's why we're doing what we're doing. You're going to plan ahead for what you want to have happen because for her... Her plan A was that house she was living in, right? Plan B was probably not discussed. So plan B was her kids come in town over a weekend and throw everything that she had left in that dumpster and haul it off, okay? The other option is storage. I'm also not a big proponent of storage. Why do you think? Because if it's in storage, you just don't freaking need it. Um, now, there are exceptions to the rule. If you've got kids that are going to come get it later, or if it's seasonal, uh, if it's something that you're going to you know, bring back and forth because you just don't have space in your new place, that makes total sense. But if it's just because you can't part with it, then that's a waste of money, and it's a waste of space, and it's also going to be a pain in your side when the time comes to have to liquidate that. Because now you don't just have whatever you're living in, you also have something else, which we deal with a lot. You know, people go, oh, I have this storage and that storage and this barn and that barn and this crate and that crate and this semi-truck and that semi-truck. and <sighs> Right? So it can be done. And all I'm saying to you is the more storage places you have, the more it's going to cost you to get rid of the stuff. Okay? And as long as you're cool with that, we're cool with that. But you have to know going into it that that's what it's going to be. So in an ideal world, we say do an estate sale. Um, obviously, we have people that we recommend for that. I always get the question, who do you recommend? And here's my answer. I don't know without looking at your stuff who I recommend. I honestly, and that's the truth. I could give you three or four names and and you're going to go through those three or four names and maybe the fourth one will be the fit. Well, wouldn't you rather just get the right fit and be done with it? So I'm shooting for, remember our little graph, one through five? I'm shooting for number one. One is simple, easy, and we know what works, and we recommend that. Now, we may have two options for that, and we'll say, talk to these two people, and these two people, you make your own decision between those two options. But even then, like right now, I have people say, well, what do you think about this person? Do you know this estate liquidator? And they'll tell me their name. And I'll say, well, no, I don't know who they are. How do you know them? Well, they live across the street. 
Great. How many sales do they do a year? I don't know. But they've been doing it a long time. Well, how often do they do it? I know realtors who have been real estate agents for 50 years. And you know how many houses they sold last year? None. You know how many they sold the year before? None. You know how many the year before that? None. But they're still licensed real estate agents, right? But how much confidence do you have in a licensed real estate agent who's been licensed for 30 or 40 years but hasn't sold a house in the last five? Hopefully none. It should be the same way with estate liquidators. But for some reason, people have a loyalty to people. And I get it, guys. These are friends. They're people you've known maybe. Uh, you've done things with. They're in your community. But do you want to put the things in their hands when they haven't used the internet in the last five years. I'm just saying, I don't mean to be mean, because this is not ageist, because there are, some, there are plenty of people in their 80s who are still selling real estate and sell a lot of houses every year who I would trust with my home sale. It's not about age. What's it about? Staying current, right? It's are you actively practicing Regardless of what age you are, if you're 20 or if you're 50 or if you're 80, it doesn't matter to me. It's are you actively involved in that business? And so many estate liquidators have not been. And if they are, they do it the same way they did it 30 years ago. And has the market changed? Yes, it absolutely has changed. Question. Uh, on estate sales, could I ask a question? Yes, sir. On estate sales, there's two types. Well, so we're going, to go into, we're going to go into great detail next month on that, all those topics, but let me answer just the short answer to that question, which is do people make more money on the auction-style sale or the uh, on-site sale type thing? And the answer is it depends, right? If somebody is, uh, you know, in a great location and they have great stuff and they want to do an on-site sale, right, then they may do better than doing the online sale. But I would say by 90% or more, easily, they're going to make more money with an auction process and the online auction process, not the, uh, hey, better, 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 that auction process, not that one, <clears throat> but the online one. Um, unless they are a farm, right? Now, if they're a farm and they have farm equipment and implements and all that stuff, then an auction probably makes more sense, right? But, um, but as a rule, everything's going online. And we'll talk about that in great detail next month. I'm going to talk about every I'm going to talk about every option, all these, all four of these options, and I'm going to tell you pricing. I'm going to tell you details. I'm going to give you referral people. I'm going to give you the whole gamut. Okay? Because that's a that's an hour conversation at least. Yep. Okay. Step 13. Once you've emptied the house, which is the key here, emptying the house, which we're going to talk about next month, you're going to prepare it for sale. Most of you own your own home. Some of you don't, which is totally fine. If you don't own a home, then this step is not relevant other than if you have a, an apartment or someplace that you're leasing, you typically will want to have it cleaned. You will want to make sure that you get your deposit back. So there's that step. But if you're going to sell your house, then what we're doing here, previous residence preparedness, what we're doing is cleaning it and then any necessary repairs that need to be made. And I'm not talking about, I, I know a lot of people say I want to sell as is, but here's the deal. If the front door lock doesn't work, 
the key doesn't open the door, we probably should have that fixed, yeah? Okay, so what I'm saying is the necessity items, the things that have to be fixed, the necessary things that need to be done, and, and your realtor, if they're good, is gonna identify these. Your realtor, if they're not good, is going to tell you a hundred things you need to do to get it sold. So keep in mind that you don't have to do a hundred things. There are some things that really need to be done and some things that don't necessarily be, need to be done. And that's, again, circling back to what I say step two was of this whole process. Get your team in place, right? You can have these conversations with your real estate person way back. Um, Shannon goes out on consultations with our folks that have houses as far back as six months or a year to say, what are you thinking? And somebody told us recently, oh, we're gonna do, we're gonna put siding on the house. I said, well, why are you gonna put siding on the house? And they said, well, the guy that came out to tell us that, that this paint needed to be done said that the house would have better value if we put siding on. Well, you're gonna spend $8,000 on siding? You think you're gonna get that money back if you sell it next month? Probably not. Shannon went out and said, spend $150, have that piece painted and let's move on, right? So those are things you wanna know ahead of time. Don't, I appreciate the fact that a lot of our folks really, really have great pride of ownership and they wanna put the 50 year shingle on and they wanna put the uh, pillow windows in and they wanna put the top of the line air conditioner in. And those are all great things if you're gonna live there for another 10 years or so. But if you're not, if your preparations are selling in the next year or two, then let's not do that, right? Let's just make the house ready. So step number 14, the house goes on the market. Now you may say, well gosh, Nick, you could have combined that with the last step. No, you really can't because here's why. Back on step two, what we did was we said, let's engage your, your relocation team. Let's get professionals in place. So your real estate agent, your move manager, your state liquidators, all those people that we're gonna be working with, you're gonna sign paperwork with them. And I'm gonna say this because there's some confusion around this. People go, well, I'm not ready to list my house, so I don't wanna sign contracts until we're ready to put it on the market. Remember that elephant I showed you a few minutes ago on the screen, right? All those decisions you're having to make, your, our brains can only retain so much information at one time. And it is so overwhelming. And you guys have heard me talk about the phrase decision fatigue, right? When you have to make so many decisions that you finally you just go, I can't, I can't make another decision, right? Decision fatigue, decision overload. Well, we basically have you sign all the paperwork you need to sign that's complicated anyway, back in the beginning. And then that paperwork goes in a folder and it sits on a desk or in a file holder until this part of the process. Because this is not the part of the time of the process that you wanna be signing legal documents to sell your home and estimates and all that stuff because you're in overload at this point, you're tired your fatigue. So what we do is we say, let's do all that stuff at the very beginning when you're clear headed, then we put it on hold, no actively marketing the house, none of that all. But at the same time, if your realtor's good, what we do is we put them on a board and we know what's coming at any given time. We know we have five to 10 to 15 houses in some phase of the process. And what do you think we're thinking about the entire time? 
who do we have for that house, right? The whole time, even though we're not showing it and we're not putting the address out there, mentally we're going, if somebody comes along, the day that that house goes active on the market, which means we're putting the sign in the yard, it's going on the multiple listing service, it's ready to go, we already have people lined up. Now in today's market, guess what? There are people lined up out the door for certain price range homes. I met with a lady last week, two weeks ago, in Bethany, and really, really nice lady. And her, she and her husband had been involved in um, development in the uh, 80s and 90s. So she's very knowledgeable, very intelligent. And she's gonna put her house on the market and she's gonna do it herself. Um, in her mid-80s, very capable. She has a son and a daughter in town. And, and I said, okay. <sighs> okay, you're going to do this yourself. She said, yes. I said, can I give you a few tips? And she said, sure. I said, well, first of all, don't put your home, I mean, don't put your personal phone number on the sign. Well, why not? <laughs> well, because you're going to get hundreds of phone calls, hundreds. 200,000 price range, corner lot, Bethany schools. I came back to the office because I told Shannon, I said, Shannon, I told her that I was nervous about her doing an open house. And I, Shannon said, where is the house? And I told her, and she said, what price? And I told her, and she said, Nikki, she needs to hire a traffic cop. And I laughed, and Shannon goes, no, no, I'm not joking. There will be 50 people in that house at any given time for the entire time she's doing an open house. She needs to hire a traffic cop. And I went, uh, I will call her and tell her that. But she didn't hire us, right? So she's not asking for my advice. I give you that because when your home goes active on the market right now, you need to be prepared for what to expect, right? Now, six months from now, that may not be the case. The market may flatten out, it may be not a big deal, it may be not a problem. It could change, you know, in a month's time. It also changes based on where your home's located, it changes on, changes on based on price point, all those kind of things. But you want to know that stuff early, not late. And so that's why I say the, the house going actively on the market, again, is another, it's like another check the box. Okay, we've done all this now. Check the box, house is going active. Okay. Step number 15. The house has gone active. You've negotiated the sale. You've closed on the house. Now it's time to relax, reflect, and recover. Now, again, this seems so, you know, obvious, right? But it's, for a lot of people, it's not. There is a period of recovery. It's like going to surgery, having surgery. You know, they say you need to take a little time to take care of yourself afterward, right? Well, after you've moved, your cortisol levels have been through the roof. You're, you've either, and maybe you're not an anxious person, but maybe you've had anxiety about this. Maybe it's overwhelming or whatever. There's a lot of things that go into this. That picture, the reason I love that picture is that's Laura. She moved to Bradford Village to one of their cottages last year. Um, and she moved right after COVID kind of became a problem. It was during the summer of COVID. And when do you think that picture was taken, if you had to guess? In the middle of the, of the pandemic. She has, she has her mask on, yeah. But what part of the move process do you think? 
That was the day we were moving her in. She was out there potting plants on her patio while we were unpacking boxes in her kitchen and putting pictures on the wall. And I saw her out there, and I said, oh, my gosh, Laura, can I take your picture? And she said, sure, why? And I said, because you look absolutely beautiful. I said, that is how I want every client to look on move day. Happy, content, like she's just, I mean, she's, she was so happy. I said, why are you so happy? And she said, because I'm not unpacking boxes. <laughs> um, but she was also happy because she had planned this out. This was a like a one-year process for her, planning this out. And, and she worked with the folks at Bradford Village for a long time. And then we got her, and we worked with her for a long time. And so she was one of the people that I said, you know what? The reason she was able to start recovering and relaxing on the day of the move is because she had planned. And this is what she planned on, right? This was all happening exactly the way we had it planned. She's also, by the way, the picture I showed you earlier with all those wardrobe boxes in the driveway, that was her house too. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to take questions. Um, and I'm happy to answer any question. If it's estate sale related and it's going to be talked about next week, I may defer it like I did with yours. But anything else, go ahead and let's, uh, let's talk about it. What did you hear today that makes sense to you? Or what do you still have questions about that doesn't make sense? The step 15, the happy, happy, happy dance. That's the happy dance. dance. Yeah. Yeah. Is it normal? Okay, so good question. Yeah. So is that the normal reaction? Um, there's nothing normal about any, any of this. I would say there's, you've got some folks that are relieved, and they sit down on their sofa after we've put everything away, and they go, oh, I'm so glad this is over, and they just want to go to bed. Right? We have one client out at uh, Concordia, Peggy. She kicked us out of her house the first day. Uh, we were still unpacking, and she's like, go, get out. I'm done. Get out. Out, 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 out. And I said, okay. I, I thought she was mad. Like, really, I thought she was mad. And so she called later and told Lori. She said, I wasn't mad at you guys. She goes, I was just done. Like, I was full. I needed a break. And so she took a break, and she went back, and she just sat in her house, and she just kind of went, oh. Now, that said, I will tell you that she had been thinking about that move for quite a long time, but her move process went really fast, and she had to make lots of decisions, not just about that house. She also sold a lake house at the same time and had to liquidate what was in it. So, And her husband had passed away one year prior, so she was doing all of this in a very compact period of time by herself. She was exhausted. The word I would use is exhausted. And I'm going to say this because I love her to death. She did not let people help her as much as she could have, okay? which is why she was exhausted as opposed to Laura who let us do and she was able to relax. So there's a, it's a personality thing, part of it, to your point. Some people, I, I'm, a, I'm a do-it-yourselfer, I know. So even the movers, when Chris says, let the movers move, I still help them. That's just who some people are. There are also other people, when, I, when you say grieving, do some people grieve? 
Um, the people who I see that are still kind of in a, some phase of the grief process after the move, it's because the move was not voluntary. Usually it's somebody had to move because circumstances or, or circumstances were that they had to move. That's a little harder. And so, yeah, it takes a little more time for people to get past that and get emotionally where they need to be to move forward. Yeah. Matter of fact, um, I'm, I'm glad you asked the question because I, I, I knew I didn't have time today, so I cut it from my talk. But this is all being put into a book, by the way. These three different talks that I'm doing last month, this month, the next month, they're all being put into a book. Um, Richard Ross, if you're listening, he called me this week, and he was so so kind and encouraging, and he said, Nikki, when you get that book written, you've got to make it an audio book, too. I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get it finished this summer. But in that, I'm talk I talk about the grief process and also attachment theory, because there's a lot of psychology behind this, and it all depends on if this is voluntary, and I'm doing this because I want to, or if it's involuntary, and it's happening to me. So uh, the stages of grief absolutely fall. You could literally, as a matter of fact, I have written out descriptions of what the grief process looks like when someone sells a house because it's very similar to a loss of a loved one. Yeah. Good. What else? Yeah. I'm a book fiend. Yeah. The house full of books. Yeah. Life for books, okay, books. What kind of books? All kinds. All kinds, all right. Uh, last month at our Downsizers Club meeting, we had an estate liquidator come in and talk to us about, specifically about what's hot and what's not and all that. And she mentioned books specifically. And she said, you know, uh, unless they're first edition books from some famous writer with a lot of value, books have no value. You can take them to half-price books. Some of them they won't even buy back. Some of them they will. Um, you can donate them to the library. You can donate them to certain places. But as far as value for sale, no. Okay, so this is the real issue. And I, I, she said, I was just hoping they wouldn't have to be thrown away. I literally cleaned my bookshelf out last week. I do it periodically, but last week I did it. And I went through and I stacked my books. These go home. These stay at the office. These I no longer need or want. I stood there for five, six minutes going, who could I give those to? No, they don't want them. No, they have them. No. Hmm. I could take them to half-price books. There's only about 10 of them. But that would take me an hour, and they're not going to give me anything for them. And, well, I could put them back on the bookshelf. or you know. I finally picked those little books up, put them in my car, drove them over to the dumpster, said goodbye to them in the big blue dumpster. I was sick at my stomach. I was sick at my stomach. Because books, what do books mean to us, you guys? Knowledge, right? There were people who couldn't get their hands on, there's still people in the world who can't get their hands on books, right? They're, they're dying for knowledge. And, but guess what? We have Kindles, and we have iPads, and we have uh, 
e-books and i-books and Apple books and whatever other kind of books. So books are more accessible now to people than they ever have been, ever. And here's the deal. Even recycling books is not, they say don't even do it because it costs more to filter the air that recyclers use to recycle the books and books are more biodegradable, they're actually better to go in the landfill than to recycle. So I say this to you because we're, those of you who love books and love knowledge and love to read, this is gonna be a painful process for you. And so if this is gonna be a painful process for you, leave them on your bookshelf and let the estate liquidator sell them. They won't bring hardly anything, but at least they'll go to a home of somebody who is going to read them. If you just need to get, get them gone, donate them, or trash them and just wish them well. It'll be okay. They'll print more books. Yeah, hang on. I got one back here, and then I'm going to go back here, and then I'll come back up to Martha. Yes, ma'am. Prisoner's system has a book donation process. Okay, um, thank you for that. So there are lots of places to donate books. Um, and so let's, if you guys want to share those with us, Shannon can take a list of them, and we're happy to publish that. But due to, in the interest of time, let me say this. If it breaks your heart to dumpster them, find a place to donate them. That's all. You have the time to do it. If you're retired, you have the time to do it. You know what? I already wasted six minutes of my billable hours thinking about what to do with those books. Does that make sense? So for some of us, I'm not going to drive all over town and I'm not going to pay to go ship them and all that stuff. I'm not judging. You do whatever you want to do with them. If you want to put together a book drive for this group, you let me know and I will let people know about it and we'll bring them. But here's what most people will say. Well, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to mess with that. I'll, I'll donate mine, and that's fine. Just donate them. I, I think there's plenty of places you can donate Bibles. There's plenty of places you can donate any religious uh, kind of educational information. Just do what makes sense for you. Yeah. Back in the back. Okay. Martha? Uh, the Metro Library used to have a big book They do. Yeah, the Metro Library still does it. Certain times a year, you can, absolutely. Yep. Okay, so, so he took them to a retirement community, and they took them. Uh, guys, again, that's what I'm saying. If you want to take the time to research it and find out where you can take them, please. I would much rather them be repurposed. Now, the books I was talking about, there isn't anybody at a retirement village going to read any of them. <laughs> Statistics. You know, if it's a novel or if it's a history book or if it's something of interest, then, yeah, great. Yeah. I yeah, magazines, same way. Yeah. Okay, good. What else? Tell me, uh, in the time we have left, I'm going to take about one or two minutes. Tell me what you took away from today that was helpful for you. Just some tidbit that you took away from today that you go, I'm glad I came today. Yep. Get professional help now <laughs> to evaluate and plan. Get professional help <laughs> now to plan and evaluate. Yeah. You know, we all need professional help from time to time. And there's downsizing is no exception, right? Get professional help. Absolutely. Good. Thank you for that. Yeah, what else? Karen? Plan A and B. 
Plan A and B. Plan A and B. Uh, you can't, I, I tell you what, plan A and B is the hardest for people because nobody wants to think about plan B. But plan, a, plan B is probably as more, more important than plan A. Back to the whole get professional help thing. Uh, one of the reasons people tell me they don't get professional help when, early in the process is they don't want to waste anyone's time. They don't want to waste anyone's time. And uh, I will tell you that you are not wasting anyone's time. Any one of us will be glad to meet with you. Now, if it's non-urgent and you say, I'm a ways out, tell the person. Say, look, I'm just planning. I'm a ways out. I'm just getting opinions. They're not going to put you on the calendar probably for that week, right? You schedule it a few weeks out when it's a convenient time for both of you. And just know that, that you should do that. Don't feel like you're taking advantage of it. The reason we started the Downsizers Club is because people didn't want to take advantage of our time. So we said, fine, pay us. So for $200, you join the Downsizers Club, and you've now purchased the luxury of having help. Right, Martha? Do you ever feel bad about calling? No. No. Need to do more of but you need to do more of it. Okay, so see, she's paid, and she still feels bad. I don't understand. Martha, what are we going to do with you? Right? <laughs> there's, a, there's a certain, it's, it's a courtesy, and I appreciate the courtesy, but it, at the same time, if you've paid for it, use it right you're not bothering anybody there's a reason we do it and we want you to call and if the person says to you they don't have time to deal with you when you're ready to let them know I had one client that Shannon and I we listed her house she doesn't attend our seminars but she contacted us she said I interviewed another realtor and I said oh great how'd that go and she said well it was about two years ago and I said well what did he do to help you and she said he told me to call me call him when I was ready to put the sign in the yard that's the standard real estate's response because they don't deal with this stuff. What do they deal with? The house, right? They don't want to talk to you about getting rid of your books. They don't give a crap about your books. They want to sell your house. So we have, our model is to help you through the process. That's why we talk to you all the way through. And then if you decide to sell your house with us, that's just a bonus day, okay? That's when we get paid. All right, what else? Start early, as in now. Yeah, Bill? Yeah, yeah, Bill, thank you. So Bill said, can we touch on selling a house empty versus full of stuff? Most people tell me um, that they've heard that a house sells better full than empty. And, and Shannon's back there going, no. Uh, some houses might, but the vast majority empty is actually better um, because it's it's just not cluttered, right? I mean, it doesn't have stuff. It's a clean slate. But more importantly, you guys, it's not so much about how the house looks or doesn't look. It's about the time between when it goes on the market to the time it needs to be emptied. So right now, Shannon, what was the time frame it takes between the time you put the sign in the yard to the time we get a contract on a house? 24 to 48 hours, if it's under 200,000 especially. So, and in that, so from the time you get the contract to the time they have to be out of the house, about how long? 30 days. So in 30 days, if you're living there and your stuff's there, we not only have to get you out of the house and your stuff out of the house, but we got to get what's left out of the house. 
no estate sale option. If, if you're going to go that route, there is zero option for an estate sale, regardless of the kind. Okay? So just don't even plan on it. You're, you'd be lucky to be able to do a garage sale, much less an estate sale. So that's why we do it empty, uh, mainly for the convenience factor for you, but also because, um, you know, we had one, a, a lovely house, frankly, one of our clients, the one that moved to Dallas, she's uh, got a beautiful home. And when you walk in it, you think to yourself, oh, this is, it's a nice house. It feels good. It's warm. It's well-decorated. But it was well-decorated for whose taste? Hers. And so when people walked into it that were looking at it, it as about a $400,000 house, they're comparing it with new construction $400,000 houses, which are gray and white, tile, very clean lines, and hers is not. And so when we took the pictures, I said to Shannon, I said, we need to uh, do some staging on this house because the pictures did not do this house justice. And part of the reason was she loves patterns. So she had oriental rugs some plaid furniture with paisley backs and pillows that kind of tied it all together. It looked lovely, but the pictures looked like somebody had taken paint cans and just spewed them all over the place, you know, because the colors all ran together because it's only, what, two-dimensional, right? One-dimensional? So you didn't get the feel of the house. All you got was all this color of it all, and so you couldn't really see the house for the color. Does that make sense? So we had to reshoot the pictures. Well, we didn't get as many showings as we thought we would on this house. Now the house is going to be empty completely because we did an estate sale, and it's going to show much better because you'll be able to see the wood floors, you'll be able to see the crown molding, you'll be able to see the beauty of the house, and not you can see the, the forest and not the trees. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, very good. Okay, so last, lastly, let's just kind of wrap up with this. Those of you who are wondering about the Downsizers Club, we meet once a month in person here at Quail Creek. We talk about a different topic every month. This month, uh, which I think is it next week, you guys? Yeah, Thursday next week. Tuesday, I'm sorry, next week. We have, we're going to go over the real estate contracts. We're going to have Shannon and Chris are going to talk about the real estate contracts and what each thing means, what the decision points are, um, what some of the challenges are associated with negotiating those contracts, etc. We're going to dig down into those. Um, last month we dealt with estate sales and then the following month Shannon is going to lead the group. Chris and I will be out of town that month and Shannon's going to uh, have some folks come talk about the home inspection process and what that looks like and what our home inspector is looking for, what can you do to, to pre-inspect if you want to, that kind of thing. So uh, we also provide additional educational materials. Um, we provide you with this guide. This is the move management guide that we have. This is what our clients get when they start. Jan gave me hers back because she's in the thick of it, right? We're almost through it. Yeah, we're moving yep. Tuesday. Moving Tuesday, right? So she, she boxed her stuff back up and handed it back to us because she's past that point. Um, and so, but the book is basically all these questions y'all are asking today. This is like the abbreviated version of what my book book is going to be. So it's the steps. So you get that as part of it. Um, you're welcome to join that. You can talk to Shannon before you leave, or you can let Naomi know um, on your eval. You can also put it on there. I want to remind everybody, if you have not gone through the gift program with Villages OKC, uh, it's being offered uh, both in person and on Zoom. And 
this is that program that you've heard Marilyn talk about at other seminars that we do where you go through and essentially create a plan for if someone else needs to take care of things in your life for either temporarily or permanently. So if you're, if you're in the hospital or if you're not well or anything, then that's literally you're creating your operations manual for that person. It goes much deeper than a retirement plan. It goes much deeper than a financial plan. So, um, and it's, what's really great about it is it's a conversation starter. You're doing it with a group of people and it gives you a little bit more um, support to be able to go and have some hard conversations with family members that you may not have had yet. And so I would encourage you to get with Marilyn back there uh, if you want to sign up for that. Those groups are going on regularly. And by the way, when you take that class, uh, you pay for the class, you automatically get a one-year membership as a village member as well. So it covers your first year of membership with them. Next month, we're going to talk about estate liquidation. And um, if you have uh, guests that you want to bring, please register them because I have a feeling that at each month now, just like when we first started these seminars six years ago, we, every month we ran out of space and we had to increase space. Now that COVID is kind of resolved here locally, we anticipate this group getting bigger over time. So make sure that you reserve your space um, each month and we'll probably end up back in this full space again. Did you guys get value from today? Yes? All right. Good job. Give yourselves a hand. All right. Be sure and visit with our sponsors before you leave. I noticed some new things on their tables and I'll see you guys next month.